So we're continuing this morning in our Provoke Life campaign, looking at the Beatitudes of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, talking about how these serve as a vision for the kind of community that Jesus came to bring, the kind of community that the church is called to be, that we are called to be, that we would be part of Jesus's mission to change the world. And during the course of Lent, we are focusing on the beatitude you can find in Matthew 5, verse 8, and let's read it together. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So in Jesus's day, purity was of the utmost importance. The the religious leaders had handed to the people a series of rituals that were designed for purification. These rituals were derived from interpretations of the Old Testament law. These were centuries-old traditions that carried as much weight as the scriptures themselves. And there was an attachment to these rituals because they had come down uh, over the centuries. They had served the people uh, in various ways and, and that they had been given to the people by their elders. And so there was an emotional attachment. This was their tradition. This was their heritage. This was their culture. And the emotional attachment to ritual that was found amongst the religious leaders of Jesus's day, it's not uncommon or abnormal to the human experience. Through the entirety of known history, humans have developed ritual behaviors. They help us to manage life. They help us to understand ourselves and the world around us. They help to support healthy patterns and behaviors. They help produce outcomes that we see as crucial to thriving. You and I are wired for ritual. And these rituals show up in the big moments of life, in the holiday celebrations. You probably have a ritual in your family of maybe you open one present on Christmas Eve and the rest Christmas morning, or you go to a certain place or you eat a certain meal. That is a form of ritual. We have rituals that celebrate milestones and achievements. Rituals also show up in the mundane. We have rituals for how we get ready for the day. I I have a ritual. I brush my teeth and then I shower and then I shave and then I put the hair gel in. And then, you know, we have these rituals that get us ready for the day. You have rituals for what you do on the weekends or with time off. Many of you, a ritual of coming to church on Sunday is an important uh, ritual. And you know that something is a ritual when you don't do it and something feels off. Something feels not quite right. There's a missing piece in your day or in your week or in your year because you didn't perform whatever behavior has become ritualized in your life. The rituals that we create are everywhere. But our rituals can also become problematic when our emotional attachment to those rituals supersedes the benefits that we are supposed to receive or the outcomes that the rituals are supposed to produce. And here's what I mean by that. So let's say for you that exercise is a ritual. 
that you, it's how you stay healthy, it's how you have energy. But then you join a gym that has amenities that, that really aren't central to the pursuit of health and, and, and physical fitness and energy, that these benefits, these amenities offer no real fitness benefit. And then you start going to that gym for the massage chairs, for the hydrotherapy, for the tanning beds, for the Tootsie Rolls and, and Bagel Thursday and Pizza Friday. And we all probably know what gym I'm talking about and I'm not, I won't throw them under the bus. But that becomes what you go to the gym for and you leave and you're like, oh shoot, I never actually got on the treadmill or I never picked up a weight. But I went to the gym, so I did something. That's great. That was the ritual. But that's not what the gym is designed for. That's not what the ritual is designed for. And so the ritual really doesn't deliver on the benefits or create the outcomes that it was intended to create. And that's kind of what Jesus is getting at in this passage in our gospel reading for today. So if you, if you back up a little bit and you start reading from the beginning of chapter 15, it gives some context to what is, is going on. So uh, the Pharisees come to Jesus, the religious leaders come to Jesus, and they have a complaint about what they're seeing with Jesus's disciples. And, and they, they bring this to Jesus in, in Matthew 15, verse 2. The Pharisees say, why are your disciples breaking the elders' rules handed down to us? They don't ritually purify their hands by washing before they eat. So the, the, the idea behind all of this was that the world was polluted. It, the world was impure. There was sin in the world. And that you would consume that pollution, you would consume that impurity, you would consume that sin if you did not, if you did not purify your hands before you ate. Now, Washing your hands before you eat is a good idea, right? Like we should do this. We tell our children to do this. They fight us on it every single time, and yet it's still important. But purification from germs is not really what the Pharisees were after here. That's not what the point of the ritual was. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, the teachers of, of the law of the day believed that eating with ritually unclean hands is what would lead to spiritual impurity. And they just could not understand why Jesus would be okay with his disciples not abiding by this teaching, by this ritual that had been passed down through the centuries. This was their tradition. This is what they did. Why was Jesus okay with it not happening? And so Jesus' response is that he says that what causes impurity in the eyes of God what disrupts our connection with God isn't what comes into our bodies because of unclean hands, but what comes out of us because of unclean hearts. He says in verse 19, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adultery, sexual sins, thefts, false testimonies, and insults. These contaminate a person in God's Sight. Now, the rituals of counterfeit religion are the things that we do to connect with God, but that actually don't lead to transformed lives. 
They may feel good to do because they're what we've always done. They may connect us with a tradition that goes back decades or centuries. We may feel comfort in those rituals, but if they do not lead to transformed life, they are actually counterfeit religion. Jesus presents a laundry list of the issues that he saw in his world that he thought the Pharisees and the religious leaders should be way more concerned about than whether the people were washing their hands the right way or not, whether they were ritually pure or not. And his point is that the evil that can come out of you or I is far more destructive in the world than anything that we could take into ourselves. Now, that isn't to say that we shouldn't be concerned with what comes into our lives and, and the potential that it can contaminate us, that it can lead us in the wrong direction. We're bombarded with messages and images and ideas and motivations that if we latch onto them, if we follow them down the road, they want to lead us. If we allow them to gain a foothold in our lives, it can disrupt our experience of a connection with God, which then leads to the evils that Jesus names and, and others. and Because there are other evils that aren't named here. This is not an exhaustive list of the potential for evil that can flow out of us. You, maybe you've heard the term garbage in, garbage out, right? If you allow toxicity to flow into you, unhelpfulness to flow into you, then that's what's going to flow out of you as well. But what Jesus is saying here is relevant on a couple of levels. Number one, the ritual purification that the Pharisees were demanding was not creating the outcome of truly purifying the people who would perform the ritual. And it was not creating the outcome of preventing evil from, flow, from flowing out of their lives. And so Jesus points this out. But he also points out that just as the body has a mechanism built into it for removing toxins, for dealing with germs, for, for flushing out impurities, impurities that we consume, that there's also a mechanism built into us that can cleanse us from that which we consume that would otherwise lead us into sin, into these evil actions that Jesus names. And that mechanism is the Holy Spirit that we receive in our baptism. The Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, that leads you and guides you and challenges you and comforts you and convicts you when you begin to engage with that which would pollute you and disrupt your experience of God in your life. The reality is that Jesus came to give you both freedom, forgiveness, and cleansing from sin and also a pattern of living that provokes life, a ritual that provokes life against a backdrop of a world where there's so much suffering and injustice and evil. 
That's why James, who was the brother of Jesus and he eventually became the first bishop of the church in Jerusalem, he says this in the letter that he wrote to the church in James 1 verse 27. He said, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. What James is doing here is he is looking at his world and he's identifying the systemic evils that existed in it, which in his day was the treatment of orphans and widows who were basically discarded, who were left to fend for themselves with with no provision, with no care, with no help to figure out how to scratch out a living, how to have food on their table and and a a roof over their head and clothes on their bodies. They, They were discarded by the world. And it was a systemic evil and it was a major problem. And so James looks at this and he says, this is the religion that God cares about. One in which the rituals of that religion lead to a response of justice and stepping into the problems and the challenges that the world was was facing. Not the counterfeit religion of empty ritual that does not lead to a new and different way of life, but a religion where what you do on Sunday changes how you live on Monday, both in terms of not being influenced by the toxicity of the world and and dealing with it when you are, but also expressing the purity of your heart through action. That is the religion that God endorses, that God cares about, that God desires for us. It's not in the ritual that you will see God, but it's through the single-minded devotion to Jesus and to following his call on your life, obeying his commands, embracing his priorities as your own, not only accepting them with your head and in your heart, but expressing them with your hands. And James goes on to say in chapter two, he says, in the same way, faith is dead when it does not result in faithful activity. We will see God through counterfeit religion when we connect faith-provoking rituals with faith-confirming and faith-expressing responses. We have big challenges in our day, right? There's lots of problems. There's big questions that the world is trying to answer. And my concern is that no matter what rituals we have chosen to shape our life together, no matter what rituals we engage in, to help us connect with God, to grow in our faith, those rituals have to shape us for a faithful response to the questions and the problems and the challenges in our world. And I'm not always sure that they do. Because statistically, and and people have studied this, someone claiming a Christian faith is just as likely to do all the things that Jesus condemned 
in our reading. The, the evil thoughts and the murders and the adultery and the sexual sins and the thefts and the false testimony and the insults and a whole host of other things. People who claim a Christian faith are just as likely to struggle and, and stumble into that as those who don't. And it's as though we're in danger of being right back in that place that the Pharisees were in, where the rituals that they clung to did nothing to shape a response for what was truly wrong in their world. And there is a heightened awareness amongst those who are disconnected from the church, some who are still in the church, but especially a heightened awareness amongst our young people. That if the ritual of the church does not, does not shape a response that leads Christians both individually and collectively to step into those big problems, to step into those challenges, to step into issues of justice and equity and poverty and racism and abuse of power. If those rituals do not lead us to a response that steps into our world in this way, then those are rituals of a counterfeit religion because faith without works is dead. Now, it's not for me to say if the rituals to which you have become attached are producing a faith-confirming and a faith-expressing response. It's not for me to say, but it is for Jesus to say. And so we allow Jesus to search our hearts, to evaluate our lives on the basis of what Christ has called us to. And the good news for you and for me is that there is grace for us when we find that our ritual and our religion does not lead to a response. There's grace for us if Jesus were to look at our lives and call our religion counterfeit. And so we're free to ask these questions of ourselves and allow the Spirit to evaluate us on the basis of them. Does your worship on Sunday do your spiritual disciplines throughout the week produce in you a desire to step into those big questions, those big challenges, those big problems? I think too often we look at our rituals of, of, of gathering and our spiritual disciplines as an escape from those challenges, as an escape from those problems, as, a, as a, an escape from what's going on around us in the big questions, but that is not what they were designed to do in the same way that the gym is not designed for you to go and eat bagels and Tootsie Rolls. So does our, do our rituals cause us to step in? Do our rituals produce in you a concern for the last, the least, the lost, and the lonely in our community and beyond? Do our rituals produce in you a desire to see justice made manifest, even if it means you might not get your way and I might not get mine? That is what a faith-confirming and faith-expressing response to faith-provoking rituals should look like. And if it's not, if it doesn't look that way, if the answer to those questions is no, then you and I need Jesus.
We need Jesus to give us grace, to show us kindness, but to also show us a better way, the way that we were designed to live and to be. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, and he's not going to start with you, and he's not going to start with me. But what he is going to do, if you will allow it, is to reveal to you by the Spirit if your religion is more counterfeit than it is true. In whatever way the rituals of your life have failed to provoke a faith leading to a response that expresses that faith, Jesus wants to set you free of those attachments and to lead you into a religion that is real. So our question to consider this morning is this. It'll be on the screen. We'll take a few moments to reflect. Do the rituals of your religion provoke life and lead to a faith confirming and faith expressing response. So take a moment and reflect on that and then I'll close this in prayer. Would you rise and we'll pray. Lord, you came into the world to save us from ourselves, to rescue us from sin, from death, from the grave. And we are grateful for that grace. But it's a grace that changes us. It's a grace that calls us not away from the world to to hide and to escape from its problems, but it calls us into the world to be bearers of and witnesses to that grace that is available for all. And so, Lord, whatever rituals that we've created for ourselves that do not lead us to that place, Lord, we repent of them. Lord, we ask for your strength and your leading and your guiding for a faith that would confirm and express all that you have provoked within us. Because while it is for us, it is not just for us, it is for the world. And so Lord, lead us into those big problems, those challenges. Lord, help us to construct lives where there is space for that. Lord, that as we live out our lives following you, that you would provoke life in us and through us and that we would embrace your call to help you change the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.